Some people can be pretty mean, can't they? How are you feeling today about all those around you? Anybody ever hurt you? Say things, do things that just make you feel yucky inside? Oh, so we're, sorry, I thought I was talking to the kids. That's what they say in junior church. They make you feel bitter, unforgiveness inside? What's that? Oh, I thought you were at it. We've done it to other people. We talked about toxic words a few weeks ago, and we talked about toxic, other toxic words a few weeks before that. How we treat other people, toxic actions, what we do to others. Well, today, um, for our last message in this toxic series, what we're going to go over is two main toxic emotions that we can feel from what other people say or do to us and from what we can cause other people to feel um, when we say or do things that we shouldn't do to them. And especially this really kind of manifests itself. It, it, it grows, it seems bigger during the holiday season, okay? Because we get to be with those friends and family that, ooh, we really kind of avoid the rest of the year, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes. Or maybe they're avoiding you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you and I are the ones that they're avoiding. But it, the, the tensions are heightened because you have to go to the family thing or you feel like you have to go and you're sitting across the table and you're trying to eat your turkey without punching them in the face. What they did to you, what they said, that money that they borrowed that they haven't paid back yet, all the ways that they've used and abused you. So... As we're getting into Thanksgiving this week, I want to share some toxic emotions that can cause lots of ruin and destruction to ourselves and to other people around us. If you have your little bulletin, uh, you can fill in this first blank. We've got to cut the bitter root. Cut that bitter root and find forgiveness in our heart. And I'm telling you, I've preached on forgiveness a fair amount of times. And every time, it's just, it's hard. It's a hard topic. It's a hard concept because some people... What they've done to us is just so over the top, so atrocious. Just seemingly, we, many people will call it unforgivable, what that person did. Truth is, things of we, that we have done, seemingly unforgivable, are not unforgivable to God. Everything is forgivable, even though we don't deserve it, even though we could never earn it. And that's how God views forgiveness is how we need to view, whew, seek to grow in forgiveness to other people. So, a couple questions to start this out. Do you have a seed of bitterness towards someone that's been growing in your heart? Right now, do you resent somebody for the way that they've been treating you or treating somebody else? Or maybe you have this self-righteous, justified anger, like they actually did wrongs, it actually was illegal, uh, but you want them to suffer. You want them to pay for what they did. Maybe you have this self-righteous hatred. Or maybe what they did to you, you want to get revenge for. You want to get retribution for. You want that person to hurt and to suffer like you have been made to hurt and suffer yourself. You want them to feel what you have felt. And when you sit down at that Thanksgiving table or that Christmas table 
and you look across and your blood starts to boil because they're smirking and they're smiling and they're enjoying themselves and they're a rotten, dirty, low-down, no-good person. And you just, oh, the anger rises in you. Do you have that person <laughs> at the Thanksgiving table? Or maybe they're looking at you like that, right? Uh, you just, I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe that he would ever say that, that she would ever do this. They're going to pay for what they did. They deserve a punishment. I, I'm going to be the punisher. I'm going to be the one to dole out the, the retribution. If I see her again, there's no telling what I might do. Right? Have you ever thought things like that? Have you ever had those emotions, those feelings cross your heart or your mind? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. Have you heard that? They say it in a lot of marriages, weddings. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But how many times do we have a list in our mind or sometimes on paper a <laughs> uh, mile long of all the wrongs and things that this person did to you, said to you, did to other people that you love. Paul says, Keep no, love keeps no record of wrongs. But we're like, they did this and this and this and this, and 40 years ago they said this and this and this. We keep that record. Do you have that bitter root growing in your heart, choking out mercy? It's choking out forgiveness. It's choking out grace. If you want to turn with me to the book of Hebrews this morning, we're going to look up a few passages. Book of Hebrews, look at chapter 12. You know, a lot of times in life, we can't control the outcome of things, but we're called by God to do everything possible within ourselves to live at peace with other people. You know that. Even though it's hard to live out, we can't control them, what they say, what they do, but we do need to get rain of our tongue because we do have control of ourselves and our mind and our actions. So here's what Paul says. Excuse me, the author of Hebrews. Some think it may be Paul. Um, even to people who have heard us, he's, they say this words. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 14. Work at living in peace. Oh, you had to say that, didn't you? Oh, gosh. With everybody? What about just the people I like? What about just the co-workers that I get along with? What about just when my kids obey or my spouse is nice? No. Mm, work at living in peace with everyone. Oh, that one hurts. That one's hard. And work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. That's a good verse. Uh-oh. Next verse, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up in you, corrupting many. Do you have a poisonous root of bitterness that has been growing up inside of you, corrupting you and other people? That's what can happen. A lot. We have a poisonous toxic, some would say cancerous root inside of us that causes problems, that creates bitterness. You, some of you are looking like, what in the heck is he holding? I want to share with you this morning something I found in my yard. <laughs> All right. So I was walking around barefoot in our backyard this fall. 
uh, not this morning, this fall, we were making a campfire, cooking hot dogs and all that. And near the campfire, I stepped on this thing, and I was like, oh, ow, like that is really hard for like a weed. That is, what is going on there? And I stepped on this, you know, all of this is underground, if you just imagine. And I stepped on this stuff up here. And you can touch it afterwards, but it's, if you imagine you're barefoot, ow, that's like thick stuff. It hurt. And so I said to myself, self, I don't want the kid's feet to get hurt like my foot was hurt. It almost poked through the skin a little bit. Really kind of sharp, um, small. It could poke through skin. So what I did, I said, I'm going to pull it up. Uh, get that out of here so it doesn't hurt the kids. So I grabbed the weed, and I'm like, <clears throat> give it a little tug. Uh, huh. Mm, that's really in there good. <sighs> you know, nothing. It would not budge at all. So I get my shovel. I go out in the yard, and I'm digging around it, and I'm like, you know, I know some dandelion weeds go deep. Well, maybe this is just a little. So I dig, 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 and I'm trying to find this root. And I get down to here, and I'm like, what in the world was this? This is, I think it used to be, does that look like some sort of bush, some of you horticulture people? I don't know. What? That used to, it was a weed that turned into something or a bush. I don't know, but it was in my yard, and it needed to go. So I'm digging, and I get down to here, and I'm like, holy cow, that thing is like that thick. That is a strong weed. So I dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and dig all around, and I'm trying to cook the hot dogs, and the family's running around. And I'm like, I'm going to do it right now. You're going right now. You're going down. So I pull it. <laughs> this thing was in my yard with that much poking up above the surface. But it was so hard to get out because the weed or bush or whatever in the world it was had been growing for so long, so deep, so entrenched. It had gotten a hold with all its little you know, root tendrils of all the things around and it had entrenched itself deeply in my yard. And if we're not careful, this poisonous, toxic, bitter root inside of our hearts grows like that as well. And you can dig, well, let's just say to get it out, you got to do some heart surgery, okay? Sometimes the people, the, the things in your life that people have done, it goes deep. And you can't just forget about it and move on. Forgive and forget. Okay, so, mm, that's hard. Uh, we can work on forgiving. Forgetting is much harder. And the actions, the words that people have said to you and me, we can let our bitter, toxic root just hold on to that and just grow over our heart, creating just a dark, black heart filled with bitterness and revenge and spite and, and anger and hatred. See, the problem is, one of the problems, it's just been growing for so long in your life. And you stew over it, and you think about it, and every time you see that person at work or Thanksgiving or Christmas, it just dwells on your mind, and it brings you know the fresh the stuff back to the surface, and it rips that scar, or rips the scab off the scar, and it just brings it back and brings it back, and you see their face, and you see their post, and you see them at Thanksgiving, and you your fist just starts to clench a little bit, and the the temperature rises in your face, and you just get a little angry, a little angry, and you just, 
Am I getting red yet? <laughs> and you see stars? Whew, because that toxic root has been growing for so long, the root of unforgiveness, growing, growing, and choking out, not just growing, but you know, there's only so much room in our hearts. So it's growing and it's choking out other things like mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and compassion and joy and hope and peace. And so sometimes, I mean, this'll, that root of bitterness, it'll just stay in your heart as long as you and I let it. It'll grow and it'll toxify and it'll it'll toxify everything you touch. It'll change how you think. It'll change how you live. And you know what you got to do? <laughs> you got to dig it out. I don't want to scare you, Nancy. She said I was scared with what? I had a sword before and I made her a little nervous. I borrowed Chris Stegman's fireman axe. They can't just fix those he fixed the floor tiles? <sighs> worth it worth no I'll be gentle sometimes in life we got to do heart surgery okay we got to cut the evil the bitterness out of our heart and you know what sometimes ugh, it's really ugh, hard and thick and gnarly and twisted and it's been in there there we go and it's been in our heart it's been growing in your life that bitter root for a long time, for decades, maybe since you were a child, you had things happen to you as a kid that you never forgave, you never forgot, that you never let go, that you never, it's hard. That bitter root inside of us will just grow and grow and grow and take hold of your life. Really, it's hurting you more than the other person. So many times. Because they're not thinking about it. But you may be thinking about it a lot. But it's difficult, hard work. And God says to forgive, to make peace. But you say, but what they did, it's unforgivable. But, but you don't understand, God, how they hurt me. And God's like, I watched as my own son was crucified. And how they spat upon him and shamed him and hurt him. I think he understands. But God doesn't give any exceptions in the Bible. It's not like, live at peace with everyone unless they did this and this and this to you. Forgive other people except when those people really, really hurt you bad. God never says that. That's not in the scriptures. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's important, critical to our heart health, critical to getting the toxins, like Hazmat has been showing us the past seven weeks, critical to getting the toxins, the poison out of our lives. And, and the reality is, some people, some of us, we, we live our whole life, choose to live our whole life with poisons and toxins clouding our heart with that root of bitterness. If you imagine your heart, you know, it's what the size of your hand, just the root of bitterness, just cloud, just creeping, just 
gnawing over part of your heart, your whole heart, and choking out that love and joy and peace and hope and forgiveness and mercy and compassion. You can read with me Ephesians chapter 4 on your Bibles or Bible apps so you can listen as I read it. This is difficult work. This is some of the most difficult work. I'm not going to lie. Ephesians 4.31 How can we possibly forgive other people? Ephesians 4.31 Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Easy for you to say, Paul. <laughs> so what do we fill that with in our heart instead? As we cut out those bitter roots instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That's it right there. How do we learn to forgive other people? By recognizing how much we've been forgiven. By realizing the weight of our sin and that Jesus, our, our Savior, our Messiah, had to die on a cross in our place for our sins. That's how much our sin costs. And He took the punishment for us. Not us. He took it. He took our death and He gave us life. He changed our eternity. That's love. That's grace. That's mercy. That's forgiveness. And when we understand, when we begin to understand the weight of our sin, the cost that our sin cost Jesus, and see His love through God, God's love through Jesus, I think it opens up our heart. And we begin the process. I'm not saying it's going to be done in one hour or one day. We begin the process of forgiving other people who have done atrocities to us. You may never forget. I'm not saying you're going to forget. That's not scriptural. Forgive and forget. That's not in the Bible. But you can begin the process of forgetting, even though you may never forget what that person said to you, did to you. A good way to start is to pray for that person. <laughs> Not pray that a piano would fall on their head <laughs> or an anvil or some cartoon thing. Pray for their blessing. Pray for their, that God would show His goodness to them, that they would get a promotion, have a great marriage and kids and finances, whatever. Pray for their well-being. Huh. That may not change them or how they talk to you or act towards you, but it certainly will start changing you and I and our heart. Start with prayer this week. I know everybody probably has some person's face in their mind or next to them of people that have wronged you and hurt you. But remember Jesus. And pray for that person. <laughs> Maybe you haven't prayed for your spouse in a really long time. For their blessing. Or your family member that you're going to see this Thursday, so you better pray up before you see him on Thursday because so, so you don't <laughs> have a fight outside in the parking lot. Like Alex. See? <laughs> so good to see him this morning, Kate. 
His first Thanksgiving. First Christmas. All right. So that's unforgiveness. And that's, I guess we could just stop there. But I won't. So the second thought, you can write this down. And this one's really hard too. And it kind of wraps into bitterness a little bit. Um, It hurts us. Is envy. Envy. So we've got to reject envy and pursue thankfulness. Not only um, cut the bitter root of forgiveness, but reject envy. Reject envy in your life. And uh, I'll just read to you this. This philosopher, uh, Socrates, or maybe it's Socrates, I'm not sure, depending on which movie you watch. Socrates. Socrates put it this way. He, he said this about envy. An envious man waxeth lean on the fatness of his neighbors. Envy is the daughter of pride, the author of murder and revenge, the beginner of secret sedition, and the perpetual tormentor of virtue. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul, he says. A venom, a poison, or quicksilver which consumeth the flesh and drieth up the marrow of the bones. What? It's just I want their stuff, right? (laughs) It's just I want their relationship or their job, right? Not a big deal. Envy is the filthy slime of the soul of venom, a poison, or quicksilver, which consumeth the flesh and dryeth up the marrow of the bones. It's not a light thing. It's not quite scriptural, but it is one of the seven deadly sins, if you've heard of that. It's not just, I want what they have. We can think that it's no big deal. It's just, whatever, I just want some of their stuff. My stuff's not good enough. I got last year's model. Big deal. But, the truth is that it's toxic to our soul. It can cause uh, malice, be, be a catalyst for greed and lust and anger, discontentment, dissatisfaction, jealousy, covetousness, which is one of the Ten Commandments, do not covet your neighbor's stuff, right? All born from this marriage of comparison and resentment. And we know, we know that we live in a consumer culture, don't we? Oh my goodness. Every single billboard, every single ad, every single commercial is, what you have isn't good enough. You need this one. And they just market that and market that and market that. And if they can create dissatisfaction and discontentment in your heart then they get you to buy their products. So their business is dissatisfaction. Their intention is discontentment. That is what they are advertising, promoting, or else you wouldn't buy the latest thing or or get this because you know you don't need it. And so we're always in this consumer culture, consume, consume, consume. We can always be wanting another possession, the new eye toy, the new gadget, the new... Um, relationship. You see that person's job or spouse or kids or house or car or tech whatever and you want it. And not only do you want it, but you kind of want them not to have it. (laughs) Because it should be yours. And you deserve it. And they shouldn't have gotten that promotion. That should have been mine. And they shouldn't have gotten that spouse. That's a great spouse. Why isn't my husband take out the trash? Why doesn't my wife not nag like that. She's a wonderful, amazing wife. Wow. And I got to go home to my blink, blinkity blink, fill in the whatever. Now, you don't see inside that person's home all the sin and all the struggles that they have. But we have this sort of Instagram, Facebook, 
perfect little family that we portray. And, oh, I wish I had that. Oh, I want, you know, and that's uh, one reason why suicide, honestly, suicide rates have gone up in teens a lot is because this is a whole other topic, but uh, similar, it's a comparison trap. And they see the perfect, that girl's got the perfect body, she's got the perfect dance moves, they got the perfect girlfriend or boyfriend, they got the, oh, they're on this perfect vacation, and I want that, but I don't have that, and I feel worthless. And what is my life even for if, I, if I'm not worth anything? A little bit of envy, a lot of the comparison trap. We talked about David last week. You remember David? And uh, Bathsheba, and he wanted that, right? Well, he messed Saul up pretty good. I mean, Saul, it wasn't David's fault. But you can read this later. Uh, Saul was so envious of David, this shepherd boy who turned into this warrior king. He was so envious of David that he literally went crazy. He went loco and la cabeza. Saul went crazy because he was crazy with envy. And we see, uh, you can read Isaiah. There's a, some believe this, some don't, but uh, Lucifer, you know, one of the angels was so envious. He wanted to be like God. He had pride, he had envy, wanted to be like God. So it seems in that scripture. That he fell, you know, because of his envy and pride. God kicked him out of heaven because he couldn't control his envy and his pride and wanting what? To, wanting to be God. And then we see in the book of Mark, and you can read this in your notes too, the chief priests were so envious of Jesus that they turned him in. They were envious of Jesus. Envy, did you know, envy got Jesus killed. One of the things that got Jesus killed. Envy from the chief priests. This is no small matter. This envy inside our hearts. I want to read with you James. From the book of James. Here we go. I, James, I am so sorry. Every, Every single week, I'm like, James said this. James said that. And I tried to resist this week, James. I tried so hard. And then I was like, oh, but this is really good that James said it. I can't not say it. I'm going to take that part of your Bible shut. <laughs> <laughs> James is going to take some scissors like uh, Thomas Jefferson and cut out James in my Bible. Here we go. All right. So the author of the book of James 2,000 years ago, not James with us today, said these words in James chapter 3, verse 14. James 3, 14. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. That's the New Living Translation. Other versions say where there is envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Our envy ain't no small thing. No big deal. I just went through stuff. No! It is demonic? James says, from the Bible, James, it is demonic. It, it is of evil. It had a, evil of every kind. Envy is a part of evil of every kind. That's why Proverbs 14 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body. Do you have a heart at peace this morning? 
A heart at peace, content, gives life to the body. But envy is like cancer in the bones. Envy. Do you have envy of other people, of their stuff, of what they have? It's a cancer to your bones. It is a toxic emotion. And the reality is that it invites evil into our hearts. Envy. So how in the world do we combat this? Envy. I want to share with you a cornucopia of Thanksgiving. Isn't that a word? Cornucopia of love or something? I don't know. Thanks, Joyce, for the borrow. Do you know how hard it was to find a cornucopia? Not even Hobby Lobby had a cornucopia. And I fault carry for that. So I put a couple pumpkins in here just because it's Thanksgiving. We've got some leaves here. As you think of... Oh, that is a real pumpkin. Hopefully it doesn't open. That's okay. We have church cleaners that will scrape up the seeds and the gunk and... Yeah, Yeah, okay. (laughs) I would do it. All right. So as you get ready for Thanksgiving this week, and maybe Joyce has this on her Thanksgiving table, not many other people will because you can't find them anywhere, as I found out. How do we combat envy in our lives? The antidote to envy is contentment. And Thanksgiving, not the turkey thing, not the holiday, thankfulness in our lives. How we combat wanting everybody else's stuff, coveting, jealousy, envy. It's by being grateful and thankful for what we already have. That marriage that you have that is not perfect. No marriages. Just ask Rachel. (laughs) Don't ask Rachel. (laughs) Be content with what you have and make it better. The grass ain't always greener on the other side. That job that you really want. See, we we envy this. We want, oh, if I were only a CEO, do you know how much less family time you would have if you got this promotion or that promotion? And uh, just working your tail off for what? For a little bit extra money? This pumpkin is leaking. There's some juice coming out. I don't know what kind of pumpkin. I guess it's pumpkin juice. I like pumpkin pie, but I don't know about pumpkin juice. Anyway. That marriage that you want, it's not perfect, work on yours. That job that you think is going to be better, be content with what you have. That car that you drive, we got this new van, okay, a 2004 van, new to us. The kids are like, can we drive in the new van? I'm like, dude, it's older than our other van, old van. It's, It's older. And every time I turn the wheel, you should hear this thing. It goes, and then I turn it this way, and it goes, it's like it's groaning, like, oh, it hurts when I turn. That's what it sounds like. You can hear me drive sometimes. Just listen for me around Troy. But you know what? It drives, and I'm okay with that. It's got rust on the side. The car's coming off piece by piece, so I put some rust converter on it, you know, to hold it. A little duct tape. WD-40, you know. Do we always need the new, shinier uh, thing? Do we always need what's next and what the ads are promoting? Just, in Black Friday, just, can we just be content? Be grateful. Be thankful for what we already have. 
your kids, my kids, Lord knows they are not perfect. And they are ooh, a bit disobedient. And uh, man, they leave messes and they expect us to clean them up. And it's like, what are you doing? How many times have I told you? I love them. They're yours. And a lot of people aren't able to have kids. Or they've had kids. And they're not with us anymore. Be content with the kids that you have. Because you for sure can't take them back to Walmart and, you know. They, you can't exchange them. You can't trade them. You can't return them. <laughs> so you, you kind of got to, I guess, live with them. But uh, you, be content with what you have. Last verse. I want to turn with you to Philippians chapter 4. If you would just indulge me one last time before we go and celebrate Thanksgiving this week. I'll put this cornucopia up here. Beautiful, Joyce. Gorgeous. Thank you for helping us remember the blessings in our life. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, uh, verse 11. And this verse, man, if we can just internalize this. We're going to close with this. Philippians 4, 11. Oh, boy. Not that I was ever in need, Paul says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Wow. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We sometimes use that verse so we can score the touchdown or whatever, you know, in football. I can do everything in Christ who gives me strength. But that's talking about contentment. Contentment is hard, but we can do it because God gives us strength to do that. The secret to a peaceful, joyful, thankful, thanksgiving, a love-filled, happy home is by enjoying, focusing on what you already have. What you already have. In America, let's be honest, we just have way more than we need. Can we just look around? We've got to give stuff away to goodwill and on the curb because we've got so much stuff. <laughs> be content with what we have. Paul writes this a little letter later, a, l- a little letter later to Thessalonians, uh, the people there. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in some circumstances. No, no, no. In all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Are you and I thankful in all circumstances? When your car breaks down... When your husband doesn't take out the trash. When your Michigan team loses continually every year. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I had, to, I just, sorry, you're wearing the M. I looked, uh, I saw it. Are you thankful in all circumstances? When you got that job that is not perfect because no job is. When you got that spouse that ain't perfect because no spouse is. And those kids that are not perfect because no kids are. Because we're not perfect ourselves. That's why we need Jesus. Are you content, satisfied, thankful, joyful, all you have? I want to read to you. Is that all right? Uh, We're going to close out this toxic series. And I just want to, this is from the book Soul Detox. I mentioned it last week. And you can take a look at this if you want, but I've been sharing a lot of it with you the past seven weeks also. 
So this is a story he shares. It's, I thought it was really powerful. Get your Kleenexes out. Okay. One way to appreciate all that we have is to spend time with people who are truly grateful for and joyful about all that they have. If we have less than we do, excuse me, if they have less than we do, it can be very humbling. He says, when I first became a pastor, there was a six-year-old girl in our church who was dying. We prayed and prayed for her, but she just continued to get worse. Near the end, I went to visit this precious little girl in the hospital. Her treatments had taken her hair, her color, and the last of her strength. I did the pastor thing, making small talk with her and her parents, trying to smile a lot and lift their spirits and praying with them, but I felt so helpless. Finally, I said, sweetheart, what do you want? Anything. You name it, and if there's anything at all I can do for you or get for you, please just name it, and it's yours. For a moment, she locked eyes with me and didn't say anything, like she was deep in thought. As I waited for her answer, I couldn't help thinking of all the things she might have been dreaming about in the past weeks. Playing with another kid, going to see movies with her friends, going home, maybe just taking a walk outside. This tiny six-year-old drew in a deep breath and sighed. Then she said, Well, I've got my mommy and daddy here. I've got my two favorite sticker books. I've got my dolly, and I've got Jesus in my heart. What else could a little kid want? Just a few weeks later, I did that little girl's funeral. But that moment at the hospital will resonate with me for as long as I live. I don't know how your story goes, but here's mine. I get to serve the greatest God, the creator and builder of the universe, and I get to do it full time. I get to love and share his truth with the greatest people, and that is my calling. I've got my best friend, who also happens to be my wife, who has sacrificed so much of herself to give me six kids. He says, I've got the greatest friends that a guy could ever ask for. I've got the best staff working in God's kingdom today. And of course, I've got Jesus Christ, the living son of the almighty God, dwelling inside me. What more could any guy ever want? He says, I hope that you can celebrate God's goodness in the lives of others, that you can embrace God's goodness in you, and that you never envy again. Jesus is truly enough for our heart's desires. I thought that was powerful. Psalm 107 says these words, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. God has unending covenant faithful love for all of us. Never forget that. So this week, be thankful. If you don't already, if you don't do it, I challenge you to uh, go around the Thanksgiving table. Not just uh, say the prayer. What do they say? Rub it up, dub. Thanks for the grub. Or <laughs> good God, let's eat. You know, whatever it is. Like actually, be thankful. Go around, say the prayer, and have everybody share what they are thankful for. I challenge you to do that all this week. If you don't already, I know a few years ago we did a thankful box. People wrote in stuff and they put it in the box and we pulled it out of the box after supper and we read what everybody was thankful for. We have so much unending things to be thankful and grateful for in this life, in this world. I know it's been a hard year and a half. I've been there too. 
But we still have so much abundant things to be thankful for. So help fight those toxins this week. Fight them with gratitude. Fight them with the one-two punch of thankfulness and forgiveness. You know, Get that bitter root out of your life. Be thankful for what you have. We don't need anything more than the people around us and Jesus. I mean, we got it so good. So good. So we're going to sing our last song. And I put extra verses in your notes. This week during Thanksgiving, maybe especially look at that second section. There are verses on there about being thankful, giving thanks, singing praise and and songs to God, uh, being thankful for who He is and what He's done in your life. Put that on your mirror. Read them. Read them with your kids at supper, whatever. Focus on gratitude this week especially. But really every week we have eternity to be thankful for. Most of all, the hope in Jesus. And don't let that thankfulness stop with you. If you have family... Friends this week, I know they say don't talk about politics and religion. For the past year and a half, since politics is all anybody ever wants to talk about. <laughs> it's just so prevalent, but just ask people where they're at. If they're interested in engaging, share with them how thankful you are for what Jesus has done in your life. Don't say, if you died tonight, where would you go? But, but say, hey, can I tell you about what Jesus has done in my life this past year and a half? It's been really hard, but hey. He has been faithful to me. And I have so much to be grateful for. Do you know him? Something to consider this week for Thanksgiving. Around your table with the people that sometimes you want to punch in the face, but God knows you love them. Work on that unforgiveness and envy in our lives. Would you stand with us and praise to our King.
Love that song, Greg. Thank you for leading us. Um, that made me think of this verse in Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 6. You can close your eyes. This will be our closing prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And everyone said, Amen.